This took place about three years ago. I was trying to save up for a used car before I graduated high school so I'd be able to get an actual job and start saving up to head off to college. As it turned out, everywhere I applied to needed a high school education or higher, and while some took me in for an interview, a few turned me away at the door because they couldn't work around my hours. It sucked, but my hours were pretty strict. I got out of school around 2.45 and was home by 3. I'd need 15 minutes or so to relax, then head in. Given that I had homework every night, I couldn't work any later than 6 or 7, so I could be in bed by 10 to get up again at 6. It was a mess, truly. That was until my mom told me that my friend of hers had a 5-year-old, but recently came out of a messy divorce. The friend wanted some time with her friends, but... Since the father of the kid was long gone, she didn't have anyone to watch him while she was out. My mom volunteered me, and while I was nervous, I agreed. I had taken care of my two younger siblings when I was ten, and I supposed I could tap back into that for a few hours. Also, the kid was five years old. How hard could it be? My mom picked me up from school, and by 3.45 we were pulling into her friend's driveway. We all sat and chatted for a few minutes, and I met her son, Miles. He was a quiet kid, a lot quieter than I remember my brothers being when they were his age. His mom was sweet, too. I could tell she'd been through a lot lately, but she looked wonderful in her dress and heels, ready to take on the night. She thanked me about 20 times before finally letting go of Miles and leaving with my mom to go out. When she was gone, I got to work on the list of things that she'd left me to do. She explained that it wasn't all necessary, but it would be greatly appreciated if I could get them done. It was small things, like folding the laundry, doing the dishes. I was more than happy to help, and she said she'd pay me extra if I did. So, I plopped the little guy in front of the door of the Explorer, took a seat on the couch myself, and started to fold laundry. I'd gotten halfway through the basket when someone rang the doorbell. At this point, it was around 5 p.m., Miles' mom wouldn't be home for about three more hours, and she hadn't told me anyone was stopping by or a package was being delivered that I'd have to sign for. I took a peek out of the window beside her door. It was a kid, maybe 13, 14. He had a backpack with him and a few school books under his arm. I opened the door. Hello. I tried to sound cheery, but I came off as confused more than anything. He sounded confused as well when he responded. Um, is Jeremy home? I started to put two and two together at this point. This little fellow was trying to find his friend's house. It was actually really cute and reminded me a lot of myself when I was his age. Kind of stumbling through life. Hell, I'm still doing that. I think you got the wrong house, little man, I said. Do you know what the address is? He dug in his pocket and pulled out a crumpled and ripped sheet of notebook paper. Scrawled on one side was an address followed by the words, Jeremy's house. For a second I thought I'd lost my mind. The house number and street seemed to line up, but when I looked closer I saw he must have mistaken a 9 for a 4. Jeremy's house is going to be a few more down. He'll be at 95, not 45. See? I pulled out my pencil and filled in the top of the misdrawn 9 and handed the paper back to him. When he grabbed it, his hand brushed across mine, and I found myself fighting against the urge to recoil. It was freezing, ice cold even. Keep in mind that this was midsummer. There wasn't 
much of a reason for this kid to be that cold unless he was deathly ill. He took the paper back and stared at it a bit before saying, Okay, thank you, and heading off down the driveway. I couldn't explain it at the time, but something was off about that kid. As I've gotten older and replayed the whole interaction numerous times, I can pick up on what I missed. It started just as I closed the door and watched him leave from the window. I was certain that I was positioned in such a way that he couldn't see me, but when he reached the end of the driveway, he turned around and just stared at the house. It may have been just for a few seconds, and maybe he was checking to make sure I wasn't lying about the house number, but it seemed like five minutes. When he did finally leave, I made a mental note of it and headed back to the living room to finish the laundry. Miles made it through two more episodes of his show before he started yawning. His mom told me he really liked taking naps around 6 or 6.30, so I asked if he wanted to head upstairs and I'd be up in a minute to tuck him in. He agreed, went upstairs, and I heard him getting out pajamas from his dresser upstairs when a knock came from the door from the second time that day. I felt my heart skip a beat. I think I knew at the time who was going to be there when I opened the door, even though I didn't want to believe it. I jogged upstairs to check on Miles. The little guy was already in bed, snoring. I thought for a moment how nice it must be to fall asleep so quickly, but I was pulled from those thoughts by another knock. This time, much louder. A quick look into the people showed no one, or rather no one tall enough to be seen from there. I cracked open the door, and sure enough, it was the little kid from before, the one asking for Jeremy. This time he was crying. The paper he'd had with him was crumpled up in his hand. If I didn't know any better, I'd say he used it as a tissue. My caring instincts came over me, and I looked past the bad feeling I had before. Kneeling down to his level, I said, What's wrong, buddy? Through quick breaths, he explained, I got lost and couldn't find Jeremy's house. And then my phone died, and I can't call my mom to come get me, and I don't know where I am. He wiped his nose with the paper, leaving a dark, inky streak across his nostrils. My assumption had been right. I wasn't sure what to do. I didn't want to tell him to get lost, and if someone in the neighborhood saw a high school-aged dude they didn't recognize taking a kid into a house, they may get the wrong idea. Okay, wait right here. I'm going to get my phone from the house, and then we'll call a policeman out to take you home. Do you know your mom's name? Where does she work? He nodded. Yeah. Her name's Stephanie. She works at the mall. It's some store I'm not allowed into. <sighs> well, that narrows it down to about 20, I thought. Are you sure I can't come in? It's getting dark and I'm really scared. The bad vibes this kid was giving off were beginning to creep back in. I was more worried about Miles than I was myself in this job. The kid was right, though. It was getting dark, and I saw a storm rolling in. Just until someone gets here, okay? He wiped his face again, then I went back inside, him following close behind. Okay, come sit in the kitchen, and I'll get you a little snack and some... Where's Miles? His tone and demeanor changed completely, and the chill that ran down my spine left my whole body frozen. 
He still sounded like a kid, no older than 13 or 14, but there was something else there, something deep within him trying to come out. I think you need to leave, I said. Turning around to face him, I saw that he'd moved much closer. He was now within range of lunging at me, and it was then I noticed his eyes. There were no pupils, no irises. They were just black. I think you need to tell me where Miles is. I won't be long. A smile crept across his face, and numerous rows, jagged, sharp teeth showed beneath. Without thinking, I snatched up my phone, ran past him, pushing him hard against the ground as I went and sprinted upstairs to Miles' room, slamming the door behind me. Miles hopped up in bed and asked what was going on. Just stay right there, okay? A quick scan of the room and I saw that he had a small chair at a desk, presumably for homework. I grabbed it, quickly jammed it under the doorknob. Not long after, the banging on the door started. Miles was crying now, demanding to know what was going on, and the kid, or whatever that thing was outside, screamed to be let in, to get to Miles. I called the police first, told them that there was an intruder, and Miles and I were in a lot of danger. They heard the screaming coming from outside the door, which was no longer that of a young boy, but a full-fledged beast. I held Miles tight, assuring him that everything would be okay, even if I wasn't sure of that in the moment. The door started to splinter, and I grabbed him tighter. Moments later, the door downstairs flew open, and I heard a cacophony of footsteps come up the stairs, followed by a few screams for someone to put their hands up, an ear-piercing screech, and then several gunshots. The interviews that followed were strange. I can't say much, even after all this time, I'm wary of telling this story online, but I will say this. It wasn't the police that showed up that night. There were no markings, patches, or abbreviations on their uniforms that would tell me who they worked for, and they kept quiet about it as well. Miles, his mom, my mom, and myself were all told the same story that we tell from this point forward. Miles' mom was against it at first, until they told him they would cover any moving expenses and even the purchase of a new house if it meant she moved far away from where she was. What we saw tonight. There's more of them out there, and once your house and child have been chosen, there's nothing you can do except get far away. Very far away. Miles and his mom ended up moving his state over. My mom and I followed suit. Not only did we want to be close to Miles and his mom, his mom trusted me more than anyone else. I can't imagine what you went through. I'm just happy that you and my little boy are okay, she said. Thank you so much. Like I said, this was a few years ago. Miles is still dealing with the trauma that comes with being attacked and hearing someone being shot in your house, but I'm just happy he never had to see what was on the other side of that door. I've written to a lot of people about this. People I would normally avoid at all costs because I thought they were just crazy. But as time ticks on and I have no answers, I'm beginning to believe there really is something. 
unnatural out there. I suppose I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll start from the beginning. I started all the way back in 2012. I was 10 years old, and so was my friend Jason. To this day, he'll brag about how he was older by one day, but that's not important right now. We'd been close friends since we were kids, because our parents were friends in college. When our moms got pregnant within days of each other, it made their bond even stronger, and since we grew up together, we were basically brothers. That's why I'm so worried right now. I know Jason more than I do myself, and something is really off about him. A few weeks ago, we went on a camping trip together, just me and him. It had been planned for weeks, and everything was going to plan until the third night out, the night before we were supposed to go back home. We weren't glamping, exactly, but the site we were staying at did have a bathroom not too far from us. It was a community bathroom, with a urinal, stall, and a sink, and it could lock from the inside if you needed some extra privacy. At around 2.30 in the morning, Jason wakes me up to let me know he's going to take the Browns to the Super Bowl. We made it a point to communicate these things, because as much as I didn't want to know he had to take a dump, it was smart to be aware of where he was. I told him I'd stay up until he got back, and keep the walkie-talkie close. I'd say ten minutes passed before I got worried. Not worried that something had happened to him, but worried that he'd eaten something and was suffering from food poisoning in a dirty bathroom in the middle of the woods. I pulled out the walkie. Hey, Jason, you there? A few moments passed, but finally he came through the other line. Yeah, I'm here. I could hear his voice echoing off the ceramic tile walls. But there was something else in the background, too. I'm almost done. Just gotta... The line cut off and static came through. Jason? I'm even more worried now. Was someone out there with him? What's going on, man? Do do I need to come get you? There was static on his end. But I managed to make out someone pounding on the door. I didn't try to talk through the walkie again. I just ran out of the tent and toward the bathroom. The air was cold and made breathing that much more difficult, but I made it to the bathroom just as Jason was leaving it. Slowing down some, I made my way to him. Dude, you alright? The walkie was bugging out. I couldn't hear you. He stared at me for a bit with a puzzled look. Kind of like the look you give a stranger when they first speak to you and you didn't quite hear what they said. Jason, what happened, dude? Oh! Suddenly, he was back. <laughs> My bad, Ronan. I I was still a little shaken up by everything. I nodded slowly, still a little unsure of everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did they just leave, or were they out here when you left? He looked behind and gestured. They ran off that way. I think it was just a couple of kids trying to spook someone. A nervous laugh escaped me. (laughs) Well, they succeeded. He laughed too and nodded in agreement. Well, I said, I'm glad you're alright. You want to head back and get the fire going again? I'd kill for some more s'mores. The rest of the night went well, but as we were sitting by the fire, I couldn't help but look at Jason. That moment of realization he had in the bathroom, like he just remembered who I was, didn't sit right with me. I wanted to press further, but I thought it would be too much for the night, so I let it go and didn't bring it up again. Still haven't. 
following day, we made it back home safely and then went about our lives. We both returned to work, and everything seemed fine. It was until yesterday. Yesterday, the news story broke that the remains of a young man were found a mile out from the bathroom at a camping site. The guy was 22, and it was determined that he died around three or four days ago. Being interviewed by the police is a strange and interesting thing, and I hope none of you have to go through it, especially when they think you and your friend had something to do with it. When they went through the guest list given to them by the campground, we were one of the first ones there. There were two other sites near ours that also had access to that bathroom, but they seemed dead set on convicting me or Jason. Here's the thing, and I need you all to hear me out. I'm innocent. I know I am, but Jason? I don't think he did this either. I think Jason was the body they found. I know this sounds insane, but since that night at the campsite, Jason hasn't been himself, literally. There are little things I've been picking up on, and some other things his girlfriend, Himari, picked up on too. His appetite has increased tenfold. He's always eating something, and Himari swears she saw him eating raw meat from the fridge that was left there to de-thaw. It may have still been frozen. Another thing that has her worried so much is that he's much more short-tempered. He's lashed out at Himari and myself numerous times in the past few days. I sat him down yesterday to talk to him to try and figure out what's bothering her or what's on his mind, and that was when I noticed it. When Jason and I were 14, we challenged each other to bomb a hill near my house. It was all paved and smooth, but it ended in a gnarly dirt path littered with rocks and broken bottles from some less-than-stellar locals. Jason went first, and ate it at the end. He hit his head pretty hard and ended up with 12 stitches. Almost didn't make it. We were lucky that the folks down there heard him scream and called an ambulance, and soon after, our parents. It left a really nasty scar under his hairline on his forehead on the right side. When I was talking to him today, I noticed it. It was on the wrong side. A scar that had been there for over five years just switched sides. It's no coincidence that what killed my friend and replaced him made it near impossible for the body to be identified. There were no teeth. Hell, there wasn't even a head. I don't know if they tried DNA or not, but I'll keep an ear and eye out to see what happens when it comes back that the body in the woods is one of a man who is still very much alive. In the meantime, I need help. Is there anything out there I can do to help those around me, keep them safe from whatever killed Jason? I know this post is a lot, and I probably sound deranged, but please, if you can... Help me. My family was one of the lucky few to get a home computer when they were first becoming more readily available. The problem with that? None of us really knew what the hell we were doing. Dad was a line cook. Mom was an accountant. 
Her job was slowly moving over to computers, so she was the one who spent the most time on it, trying to understand how to operate it. I'd say a few months passed, maybe three, and we'd all gotten pretty used to how it worked. We'd even set up AIM for me and my close friends. Mom kept a close eye on my friends list, of course, to make sure I wasn't talking to anyone who had some nefarious plans for a kid. As it turns out, Mom was the one who needed looking out for. It started two weeks after my fifth birthday. Mom was emailing back and forth with a client when that all-too-familiar sound of a new message came out of the speakers. Not the you've-got-mail sound from her email that I'd heard a hundred times that day, but the AIM notification. I looked up to see who was messaging her, hoping it was a mom from one of my friends trying to plan a sleepover. No luck, but I did notice my mom looked confused. Dad noticed too and walked over, leaning over her shoulder to read. He read the message out loud. A friend of yours gave me your screen name, said you were really good with money. He scrunched his face. (laughs) That's a weird way to start a message. Ask him what friends he's talking about. Mom typed away, and a few seconds later, the familiar ding happened again. Jacob, from your job? He said you're the best one they have and gave me your screen name. Look, I really need some help here. My daughter is really sick, and I don't know if I can work her treatments and prescriptions into my budget. Without hesitation, my mom typed with fury. She was quick to help just about anyone, especially if they had kids. Before we knew it, a week had passed, and Mom agreed to meet this mystery man at a coffee shop in town to further the conversation. Dad was nervous, but Mom assured him she'd call if anything went wrong. And I suppose if that didn't work, she could have just knocked him in the head with the phone. The MicroTac 9800X could easily double as a brick if need be. A little more than an hour passed before Mom came back, and when she did, she was furious. She burst through the door yelling, That is the last time I try to help someone. Dad pulled her to the side. Sarah, what happened? Are you okay? That bastard tried to kiss me. I had to punch him in the balls. I wanted to laugh at that, but Mom's serious demeanor quickly suppressed any humor. What the hell? Did you call the cops? You alright? Mom sighed. Yeah, I'm fine. Just a little shaken up. A lot of the people at the coffee shop saw it happen, but the guy ran off when he heard sirens. I told him I'd give them access to our computers so they can go through the messages, but... She paused and quietly asked my dad into another room, away from me. I later learned that the conversation they had in their bedroom more or less established that my mom was in real danger. Before the man ran off, she said he looked at her and under his breath said, I know where you live, you bitch. The weeks that followed are ones that I'll never forget. The police came to get the computer the following day and to ask my mom a few more questions. Where she met the man, why she agreed to meet, and things like that. They almost made it seem like it was her fault she was trying to help someone she thought needed it. They even went on to say that once they get this guy's information, he couldn't be arrested. Sure, he tried to kiss you, but he didn't hurt you at all, did he? One of them said felt like we were on our own. Two days after the computer was taken, things got worse. I was outside playing in the yard and my mom was on the porch. 
She'd been given a few days off to deal with everything and was trying to do everything that she could to relax. Our home was on a private road, so we knew the majority of the cars and what they looked like and when they'd be coming or going. So when a rusty, beat-up station wagon came down the road, my mom took notice. I saw her stand up to get her better look, squinting to keep the sun from her eyes, and then suddenly... Honey, get in the house. Now. I didn't think twice. My mom was never one to raise her voice, mostly because she didn't need to. She had an authoritative tone when she needed it, and it was more than enough to get me to listen to her. I ran inside while she started down the front porch stairs into the yard. In retrospect, it was a horrible idea. She already knew this man was obsessive, but at the time we didn't know how dangerous he was. Looking from the living room window, I saw her standing just a few feet from the man in the station wagon, yelling and screaming about how she'll call the cops, and if they don't do anything, she'll kill him herself. The man drove off without a word, but the look on his face? I'll never forget it. I don't know how to describe it, but I just knew that this man wasn't above taking someone's life. Mom came back in once she knew he was gone, locked all the doors, and called the police again. When she'd met the man at the coffee shop, he ran off, presumably because he'd parked a few blocks away, but this time, Mom had his plate number. She relayed the information to the police, who said we could get a restraining order on the man if he threatened her life. Obviously he did, so it was put in place. The man was forced to keep a distance of at least a 100 feet. It seems like such a silly distance. The man could stand in our neighbor's yard and stare through our windows and technically not be breaking the order. But as is often with situations like this, it quickly got worse. It started with the letters. There was no return address or stamp, so it was obvious that he was putting them in our mailbox himself. I never read them, but from what my mom told me when I was older, they were absolutely vile. He went into vivid detail about what he wanted to do with her and how her husband was nothing and he'd kill him to be with her. It was terrifying. We again went to the police as he'd violated the restraining order and they assured us they'd run the plates, had the man's address, and would be taking care of him in a few days. That day would come a lot sooner than we all expected. It was in late July that we were all woken up to our front door being kicked in, followed by someone screaming out my mom's name. Being so young, I did the only thing I knew to do, hide in my closet. I heard my parents come out of the room, but my dad yelled back for my mom to stay in the bedroom. The man yelled out again about how he would get her, and she'd be his. Seconds later, there was a scuffle, the sound of two large bodies hitting the floor, followed by the fleshy smack of someone getting punched, and then... Bang. I knew the moment I heard it, it was a gunshot. It's one of the pros of growing up in the South. You become so accustomed to hearing gunshots, you can almost discern the caliber. The house was silent for a moment. I held my knees to my chest, crying, just knowing that my dad was dead and my mom would soon be next. Finally, the silence was broken by the thumping sound I heard before, and seconds later, my dad called out. I'm okay. You both just stay where you are. I'm going to call the police. You don't need to see this. 
I learned later that in the struggle, the man pulled out a gun. My dad managed to clock him pretty hard, causing the man to drop it. My dad scooped it up, pointed at him, hoping he'd back off, but instead the man rushed and dad pulled the trigger in a panic. I struck the man in the chest, puncturing a lung. Dad told me when I was older he'd watched the man pass away when he was on the phone with police. It took all of us a long time to come to terms with what had happened. Dad was struggling with the weight of killing someone even though it was self-defense. Mom was dealing with the paranoia that comes with being followed and tormented. And truthfully, I was the best off. I never saw the body, only heard the shot. I suffered from nightmares following the break-in, but after we moved, those quickly faded away. I'm in my 30s now. Dad passed away last year, but Mom's still hanging on. She's doing a lot better now, and though she's living alone, I'm only a 10-minute drive from her. I guess if you were to take anything away from this story, it would be this. While the internet is a bit more secure than it was in its infancy, it's still an incredibly dangerous place. So make sure you're taking precautions to make it safer for you and those you love. You never know who's on the other side of the screen. everyone. I hope you enjoyed tonight's true scary stories. If you did, let me know which one uh, freaked you out the most. Maybe hit a little too close to home. Who's to say? Also, let me know what kind of true scary stories you'd like to hear in the future. Maybe a certain theme. I picked out these three from suggestions from you all. Someone wanted a, a babysitting story or a home alone story. Someone wanted a camping story and someone else wanted a stalker story. So I searched and searched and searched and finally found these three, and I thought they were really, really scary and unsettling, so I decided to share them with you all, because that's what we do here. We scare the hell out of everyone. <laughs> Thank you again, everyone, for listening. Um, let me know which one you thought was the best in the comment section below, and again, leave me some suggestions for more true stories down there in the comments below. While you're doing that, I'm going to thank all of our $5 patrons and members. Thank you to Absinthe Alice, Amethyst, Amet, Ann Barry, Bubbly Panda, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, Alice G, Frankie Brockway, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Jennifer Dameron, Jesse Jess Jess, Justine Zaromsky, Karen Parrott, Kat, Kathy Flanning, Kelly Sprague, Laura, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Moon Potato, Nicholas Moore, Nora, Nova Nocturne, Patricia Rodea, PJ Masks, Ray Clegg, Sentinel, The New On Gum 24, Tiger Princess, Tish Love, Triumph, and finally Victoria Step. Thank you all for the amazing continued support. Thank you to everyone who shows up, leaves a comment, leaves a like. I really, really appreciate it. Make sure you share this video with someone you love, someone who you think would enjoy it. Really helps out the channel. Hope you all have a wonderful afternoon, day, or evening, wherever you are. And as always, take care of yourselves and everyone around you. Good night, everyone.